Hello everyone, I hope you're having a good week so far. My name's Sarah Khan Bashir and this is my podcast, Family Matters, where I explore some of the issues, the taboos and realities of divorce and separation in the South Asian community. Thank you for listening. Some people in life realise, many do not, that their behaviours and actions um, and how they come across to other people are um, a total of their experiences, their environments, an experience, an awful experience you'd had a long time ago, even though you felt that it was something that you could deal or cope or manage with, manifested itself in different ways in your life. Um, And so I think that is going to be my opening question to you is, we spoke about the moment of realisation. Can we start from that to see how how did you feel at that point when you realised that the, the, the reason I am and the things that I do all relate back to that awful time in my life? Okay, what I'm going to say to you then is even the word realisation means different things to different people. Of course, yeah. So what I'm going to base my answer around is a moment in time from which then events sort of drifted forwards and backwards. Right. Okay. So that moment in time is when I blew the whistle at a large teaching university hospital. Yes. And after I had the experience of blowing the whistle, I wrote a book on it. Mm hmm. And after I wrote the book on it, I found that the meanings hidden in conversations had started to change. Interesting. So you could then say that realisation for me was that I'd realised that the entire experience I'd just had had changed the way my brain perceived things. So things that had been said to me before which maybe I'd missed, I wasn't missing any longer. It is from that moment and that experience that I was able to drift backwards a few years and then forwards to the now and backwards a few years further back. And there was two key conversations in that experience. And one of them was one of my neighbours read the book. And I had no idea she was a counsellor. And I mean a counsellor in the sense of, you know, are are you okay? Are you happy with yourself? You know. Yeah, the um, non-politician. Yeah, she was a feel-good counsellor. Sure. And she just approached me in the street one day and she said, Dr. Ahmed, your book. She said, I couldn't put it down when I picked it up. And when I finished it, I felt like rushing round to your house. And I said, whatever for? She said, I wanted to give your wife a hug. Oh, okay. And I said, but hold on a minute. My wife didn't write my book. Mm. And she said, no, but your wife did struggle. You have no idea how that woman has struggled. And I stood there thinking, how do you know? How do you know if my wife struggled or not? And it bothered me. Because some other reader of my book had said, 
my wife had struggled and that she could see from the way I'd written the book Mm. what kind of person I was and what kind of suffering my wife might have gone through. And I thought, hmm, that's borderline cheeky, isn't it? (laughs) And was was there anything in the book about your wife? The book is the story of the events as they unfolded after I blew the whistle. Okay. And there were some key emotional moments in the book which did involve my wife. Mm-hmm. So she's in the story of the book. Okay. Okay. But I complete the book with a chapter called Rant. And just to put that in perspective, in the introduction to my book, I do apologize for sounding like an angry child. Okay. I forget the words I use, but I said, I think, forgive me for sounding like an angry child at a corrupt cultural cradle. When I wrote that, it wasn't really a di- direct reflection of how I felt my relationship with my wife was or my relationship with my own children. That came later. I think what I was concentrating on in my book was how upset I was. To summarise what my realisation was and the one mm. which I feel most embarrassed about is that for the 23 years I've been married, Mm -hmm. I was doing to my wife what the leadership team then did to me when I blew the whistle. But because I hadn't had the time to think about it, reflect upon it, I hadn't noticed it. Mm. So when that neighbour of mine said she wanted to rush around and hug my wife, Mm. the penny didn't drop Okay. But then I was sat talking to another friend of mine, again, a female, Mm -hmm. and I just happened to tell her a story of something that had happened between me and my wife. Okay. Very casually, this friend of mine said, sounds like someone's bullying their wife. And I smiled, as you do when you think you've heard a joke. And I thought, why would she say that? It didn't make me laugh, but it's made me smile. Especially as you were telling the story as well. I told the story. Yes, yeah, so, but but she identified that you were the, the one bullying from your own story. Correct. So over the next week or so, I continued to come back to what she said to me. Mm. And I thought, hold on a minute. This is a personal friend of mine. Why would she say... It sounds like someone bullying their wife. I thought, I can't be bullying my wife because I've told you about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Bullies do it behind closed doors. They they have an agenda. Uh, But I can't have that agenda because I've just told you the story very, very casually. And what dawned on me was I told the story honestly She identified the behavioural characteristics of a bully. And then it dawned on me, I'm a bully and I don't even know I'm doing it. That sentence there is probably my realisation from my book. I'm a bully and I don't even know I'm doing it. So then I started asking myself, how can that be? Hmm. You've got to be in denial. Come on, 
how can you be a bully without knowing it? And I didn't get the answer to my question, but it just sat there in the back of my mind until I read another book, which was by, it was a, by a child psychiatrist and it was called The Body Never Lies. Okay. And in the introduction of that book, the author said, I have never known an episode of psychosis in which the child wasn't sexually abused or humiliated. And I found I couldn't read past that sentence Hmm. because I'm 52 years old now and I've lived the last 45 of them by deleting the day before each day. If people think that there's a direct line link between someone who's 52 years old Hmm. and the sexual abuse that they suffered between the age of six and nine, like I did, there is no direct line connection because you don't connect. What you do is you delete the day before and I don't think you create a new picture. You don't give yourself a new story to live. All you do is you delete the day before. I sat there and I sat there and I thought, I'm not going to change the narrative of my life from someone who's told themselves for 48 odd years that that sexual abuse did not bother me Mm -hmm. to suddenly deciding it does bother me. Just because I've read it here in this book, I wasn't going to do it. I wasn't going to change the narrative. It, It felt cheap to me. But I lingered on it and I pondered on it. And then I was able to change the story or I was able to redefine the narrative. And that was the physical part of the sexual abuse hadn't bothered me. It was the humiliation. What I was suffering from, and I realised that I'd been suffering from all my life, was the impact of the humiliation. So I knew it wasn't the physicality of the abuse. It had to be something else. Right, I understand now. Okay. So, but another angle to it is, I would say I spent all of my life living with something that I would describe as emotional epilepsy. So almost for no reason, my emotions would just leap all over the place Mm. and I'd be completely uncontrollable emotionally. And then all of a sudden it would stop. Okay, and quite often there was some outrages and some madness. And around my 40s somewhere, I labelled that emotional epilepsy as my rage regret withdrawal cycle so number one I had no control over it which is why I describe it as an epilepsy yeah yeah secondly I defined it using the characteristics of the events so first I would rage yeah then I would regret it and then I would feel like I didn't want to be here for Mm -hmm. a lengthy period of time And then I did come to realise that a lot of the rage regret uh, withdrawal had a direct link to anxiety. So I had identified that I need certain things around me 
to be in a certain way because I don't deal very well with anger. My anger often boils over and then I become frustrated. And after frustration is when the rage kicks in, then the regret, then the withdrawal, and I'm left exhausted. So to avoid the exhaustion, I needed a predictable control over my environment. Mm. And what I realized I was doing was I was trying to control my wife to behave in a way where she didn't step on any of my triggers. Makes sense. Yeah. So in that respect and in my mind, it was not bullying. Mm. And it had very, very, I know this now, but I didn't know it before. Mm. It had very little to do with her. It had everything to do with how I needed her to be around me to prevent triggering one of my rage, regret, withdrawal cycles. Sure, sure. Okay. How how did she react, um, Dr. Hafiz, to your behaviour in this way? That's a question you need to ask her. Okay. But I can tell you what I feel was her issue in that mix. And that then brings us on to a cultural issue. Mm -hmm. So my wife does come from a generation of Pakistani Muslim Mm -hmm. that was nurtured by her parents to be a housewife. She'd only gone to university so she could bag a qualification to make herself more marriable. Is that by her own confession or your observations? This is where we get into territory where the question needs to be asked of her. Mm -hmm. I'm giving you an insight into the conversations that we have both had. Right. In which I used to almost completely ignore my rage, regret, regret. Withdrawal. So you have to remember, I only labelled it rage, regret, withdrawal in my 40s. Prior to that, that outburst was blamed on her. And for our marriage, the best part of our marriage, I then lumped the blame on her mm-hmm. because she lacked her own independence, her own substance, I would say. So every time she would come at me for having had an outburst, I would lean back on her Mm -hmm. and say, don't blame me for what your parents failed to do for you. It cannot be my fault that your parents have indoctrinated you to believe you were designed to be a housewife or that that's how they brought you up and they sent you to university to get a degree to make you more marriable. Mm. Don't blame me that you have come into this marriage lacking the skills required to thrive in the negotiation that is supposed to be a marriage. So I was a strong character because back at the age of six, 
I'd been abused. And although I didn't know it at the time, mm. what I can tell you now is we function as a species off the back of two things. That is cooperation and competition. And when you suffer something like sexual abuse at an early age, it flips the balance and you move away from cooperation and you become very, very competitive. Right. Okay. So I had to compete to defend myself against some of those corrupt, deviant adults around me through my childhood. I never, ever once thought that my behaviour and attitude towards adults thereafter had anything mm. to do with the abuse because yeah. I deleted every day as I went along. So my yeah. coping strategy was delete. So any issues in your marriage caused by this behaviour? Did you just put down to the fact of compatibility or the reasons that you spoke about your, your wife's upbringing in your mind? Is that, is that what you put it down to? Well, I could give you the honest answer or I could make one up to make myself... No, be honest. No, no, please be honest. Right, so she was blamed for them. It wasn't the word trigger. It was you did that, then Mm. this happened. You then did that and this happened. And now I've blown up because you did that, that and that. But once I'd gone into rage, there's no climbing down. So it's... It is some people describe it as the red mist. Some people end up in prison cells for it. I have been arrested many, many times in my life for being out of control. And it's always been in response to a sequence of injustices. To explain that one through, Mm. being a good Muslim that I am, I only started drinking at the age of 11, okay? Okay, yeah. So at the time, I don't know whether I thought I was being fashionable hmm. or whether I thought I was being deliberately non-compliant with my parents' requests. Hmm. But looking back, I think there's there's some sort of pathway where it gets fuzzy and maybe I tried a drink with some of my friends, but didn't realise that the effect of the alcohol, the pleasure from it was that it changed my mind for a period of time. And that change when it came in was quite, it took me away from my other position, which was living in a dysfunctional family, which was an abusive environment. So, oh, actually, I've just remembered the answer to a question you asked me a while ago. You asked me how I came to realise it was the humiliation and not the physicality of the sexual abuse. Yes. And I remember that on the occasions that my mother got beaten, which was invariably with a stick, and we could pretty much hear all the screaming, shouting, thumping. As children, we used to hide in a wardrobe. After the event, my mother used to come and find us, and she used to say, what kind of children are you? When a mother is being beaten by her husband, 
good children stick to their mother's skin and protect her. And I came to realise that almost every one of my known and unknown insecurities are attached to the fact that after she'd been beaten, my mother used to come and blame it on us children for not protecting her. Right, right. So, and this is where the layers yes, really you can see. Yeah, it, it, it's it's a multi-layered thing. So, in the in my own marriage, mm. number one, I would describe my behaviours most of the time as a hundred percent more acceptable than those of my father. Yeah, that's the yardstick you're using, aren't you? Yeah. I wasn't physically abusing my wife. I wasn't physically bullying her. It was all being done mentally. And what made it that much more difficult for her was no lies were being told. So when I said, don't blame me for the failings of your parents, that's not a lie. When I said, don't blame me that your parents brought you up to be a housewife. That was no lie. Don't blame me that you didn't come into this relationship with none of the skills necessary to thrive in this Western culture. Yeah. None of it was lies. So she didn't have the negotiating powers that I developed because I'd spent my childhood protecting myself. Yes. She'd spent her childhood being loved. So my book is called The Philosophy Fridge. Yeah. Because I wrote a sequence of quotes on the philosophy fridge when I was having a bad experience. But then at the age of 52, I wrote on the fridge, an adult is an individual who can reason logically with the upset child trapped inside them enough to prevent the child from lashing out in horror. And once I'd written on the fridge, I sat my three children down Mm -hmm. and I said to them, do you remember all those episodes of dad screaming at mom, dad hounding the hell out of mom? Mm. Yes, dad, they said. I said, well, have a read of that. And I said, there you have it. I have now worked out that trapped inside me is a very upset child and I never had the knowledge or the intellect or the experience to talk to that upset child to prevent that child from lashing out. So all that screaming was from Mm. that child. But now I've had my realisation and I don't do that screaming. You've talked about your behavior towards your wife Uh and you mentioned when you spoke to your children that you mentioned the outburst towards mum um what what was your behavior like towards your children I'd like to describe my behavior towards my children as balanced and kind Mm -hmm. but firm and consistent one thing I remember back to In my own childhood, we were beaten literally daily. Most of the beatings occurred in the name of religion. And I hold that against the religion and the faith 
and my pig ignorant parents. So we would go to Quran lessons and we would sit opposite the teacher and we would be asked to recite a page back. And each time we mispronounced a word, we'd be slapped. That's just dreadful. And the more words you mispronounced, the more you got slapped. The more abuse you got, yeah. In my family, all the teachings we had was in the hands of relatives. And here's the irony. Mm. The sexual abuse was committed by the same relatives who were supposed to be teaching us about God and religion. Gosh, I just had an awful feeling you were going to say that. I've heard that story so many times, Hafiz, I really have. And it's, it's, it's dreadful to hear it again. I feel I have lived a life viewing adults as pathetic. And I was unable to change that until the moment I had my epiphany and wrote what yeah. an adult means to me. I don't think I ever wanted to be an adult because the ones I experienced were so pathetic. Obviously, I can see that. So I was always mindful of that. Yeah. And as I got older, I used to say to my father, I don't know what you're trying to exercise out of me, but with every exorcism and every beating, you are making my behaviours more risky. I am actually becoming risk adverse. And I'm just worse. And you somehow can't see it, but I can. And you said that to your father. Oh, yes. I think when you get used to sticking up for yourself, you'll stick up for yourself. So in and amongst all that, when I used to lecture my father for beating me, he used to say to me, and now coming back to your question. Yeah. Wait until you've got your own children. Really? So there was yeah. no no remorse or regret? Nothing, right? And if, if, if you go and interview my father now, he's quite conveniently rewritten the story, and I could not tell you, mm. and nor could he, I suspect, how much of the narrative has changed subconsciously and how much of it is deliberate. Of course, yeah. But I will say, based on my own experience and age now, I think it's going to be equally pegged that you take conscious decisions that there's a part of your past you need to change so you can cope with yourself now. Of course, yeah, I can understand that, yeah. Okay. Coping mechanism, yeah. So he can't now live with the fact that he tortured his children mm. in the good in the name of the religion. Or, or put them in a, a vulnerable position where they were open to being abused. What about your 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 mother, Hafiz? In terms of you've had these, you've told me about the conversations you've had with your father, and his response. Is your mother's response any different? No, because I, my mother is probably fifty-two times worse than my wife when it comes to indoctrinated to be a servant type oh, person. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. There is no independent thinking. She is a blind believer. So she has blindly been led up this path where she now just does all the things that her mother taught her a woman does. But post epiphany, how are you now seeing your your life and your behaviors? How is how is that all manifesting? Has it been a change since your epiphany? I'll put it to you like this. Once neural pathways have been set down, 
they cannot be retarmacked. If you do retarmac them, that, that retarmacking crumbles easily and just falls away. So I still have my moments. Mm-hmm. And if I'm very careful and conduct myself in a calm, collected, controlled way, I can almost pretend to be normal. But if I try and take life at a normal, everyday pace, my cycles come back very, very quickly. Right. Okay. And I've tried. I have friends who have been institutionalized because they've tried to commit suicide. I have other friends who have children who have committed suicide. I'm sorry to hear that. I have other friends who've got children who are on the spectrum or on medications. Mm. So I've looked at it from all sorts of angles. Mm. And I hear what the psychologists are saying. But in my experience, once those neural pathways are set down, you can't retarmac them. I'm very grateful I'm still married. That was going to be my next question. Shortly after my epiphanic me, I have apologised to her sincerely for all my behaviours and all the episodes that I've exposed her to. And for a while, I described her as my fairy godmother. So I don't know if you're aware of this, but I finished my book with a quote, which was what one of my patients said to me. And what he said to me was, Dr. Ahmed, your wife is the most balanced person I've ever met, and you are not. Right? He said that to me back in 2005. And in 2005, I thought he was going mad. Because in my own definition of myself... There was no one more normal than me. Yes, of course. Yeah. And my wife was lucky to be married mm. to someone as normal as me because I could drag her along. Yes. Was yeah. my perception. Of course, the reality is, and she now has the confidence to say to me, you were damaged goods long before I came along. Gosh. But somehow in the mind I was in, well, if you delete every day as you go along, you're never going to remember you were damaged. No. Yeah. And she didn't have the confidence to say it in the early days. So yeah. now when she says to me, you were broken before I came along. I know that <laughs> to be true because yeah. I've made the links. Yeah. Right. And I do need her to keep her foot on my throat because mm. if she keeps her foot on my throat, my resurfacing seems to work better that's that's fantastic to hear actually and she sounds like an incredible incredible woman so by you speaking to us today quite candidly and honestly the hope is that it will get more people to speak out about it firstly and 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 hope that they will recognize within themselves some of the the behaviors that you saw after your epiphany and the reason we do this podcast is that we try and highlight issues in all communities um, so that people start talking about them. Particularly in our community, a lot is still taboo. People won't accept there's a problem. There's no responsibility that there's a problem. So if you're not going to have that, how are you going to be able to fix those kind of problems? So you being so honest with us today, 
the hope is that other people will either start, like you say, overlapping their experiences and stories. They'll understand that what you went through, they may have gone through something similar. Maybe then they can understand their behaviors because we often get people who will come and speak to us and say that, that my relationship is breaking down and I don't understand why. I don't understand what my partner wants from me. This is how I react. And it might go back to something a little bit deeper, like you said, that they may have also deleted. And, and, and that is why we try and have these conversations to get people talking. Um, it's been just absolutely fascinating to speak to. But what I would like to know is what is next for Dr. Hafiz in terms <laughs> of the book? And, you know, you've got the rest of your life ahead of you now. How do you see what would you like to do with that, with, you, with, with what's next for you? I never realised through my life mm. that what I was lacking was love and what I desired was acceptance. I didn't realise that my wife loved me and I hadn't realised that my children accept me. So in a way, I'm inclined to say I'm going to put the full stop there because yeah. for someone who didn't know they needed loving and someone who was craving acceptance. I've got both things. And that's huge. Absolutely that's huge. huge. Mm. I didn't get them mm. from where I was supposed to get them. Yes. Of the people I was supposed to get them from. So I suppose the next challenge and where it's going to go, I'm going to leave with you, but I'm going to leave it in a slightly encrypted way. Okay. And that is, you are working with a community that haven't had the same realisation as the white Christian community just yet. Yeah. And that is, in the Pakistani Muslim community, when a teenager starts to struggle, whether it's with their emotions, their personality, or their behavioural characteristics, the parents take the child and sit them in front of some religious person like an right. imam. That's right. And they say, speak it through with the imam, son. And what the imam then does is talk to the child quite dogmatically and sends them round and round in circles, mm. blaming everything on the devil and saying to the child, all these problems will solve themselves when you develop a belief in Allah. They are wrong. Yeah. So it's about personality, behavioral characteristics, emotions. Those are the three things, in my opinion, that belie the problems the community is suffering. We've got a few minutes left, so I just want to, um, first of all, let's talk about the book a bit. The Philosophy Fridge, fourth edition by Dr. Hafiz Ahmed, available yeah. on Amazon. The function of my book in later years is going to mm. be other people's starting point. They'll be able to read it and say, ah, maybe I need to think a bit more about my childhood. Yes, yes. This is the thing. This is exactly yeah, the thing. Yeah, so, maybe I need to think about what I blame my issues on. So I see a lot of people blaming things on their colour and their weight 
and their age. Yeah, and definitely. I'm hoping above anything for the readers, they'll look at it and they'll say, do I need to go back and look at my childhood? Are there things that I've forgotten mm. or they hadn't been presented me in a way before that I needed to look at them? Yeah. So I think a lot of things that are happening between husbands and wives, parents and children, mm. I'm pretty confident that the people involved in the fray don't actually understand their own role in it. Yeah. So you you have actually, in a way, answered my opening statement slash question to you, which was about us being a sum product of our experiences and in environments that we're in. Um, and I think reading the book will delve into that at a, at a much deeper level. Um, and I, I, for one, I'm really looking forward. But Dr. Hafiz Ahmed, it's been a pleasure and an actual real privilege to speak to you today. Thank you very much. And that's it for another episode of Family Matters. If you've enjoyed the conversation and found it helpful, I hope you can share it with a friend or family member who might need to hear it right now. And if you're new to my podcast, check out my other episodes or follow me on Instagram at sarahthelawyer98. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy the rest of your day.